Jewish people celebrated a, a feast of, of sorts called Passover. It commemorated the, the time in their history when they were in bondage in Egypt and God heard their cries and moved to set them free. And so they would gather once a year for um, a dinner where they would talk about all of the things that occurred that night that they were actually set, set free. You see, back then, each family sacrificed a young lamb and took the blood and painted it on the, on the, uh, on the door of the home so that the angel of death would pass over it and thus save the firstborn in that household. It was kind of God's final sign to the Egyptians that he was the one who held both life and death in his hands. And so there was a sacrifice of a lamb, and there was blood, and there was posts, and a lintel, and there was a Passover. And then tonight, as we think about this, this Good Friday, we start our story with Jesus celebrating a Passover meal with his disciples. And what's so interesting is that this sets off a chain of events And if you think about it, this is where the Lamb of God, God's firstborn Son, becomes the ultimate sacrifice for all of humanity. It's an interesting little play on what's occurring. Here's here's the, the passage. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is my body. Can you imagine the confusion? Can you imagine what his disciples were thinking? What do you mean this is your body? This is the Passover meal. This is something that we've done all of our lives. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Wait a minute. What is that supposed to mean? You have a group of of men from various backgrounds listening to this, not wanting to gainsay their rabbi, of course, but this had to have been confusing. And then they sang a hymn, And they went out to the Mount of Olives, which overlooks Jerusalem. We repeat these words every single time we gather as Christians for communion. This has meaning for us because we remember, because we're on this side of the event. We're on this side of the story. And so we can make some meaning out of it. But imagine what the first disciples felt when they experienced all of this. Jesus took them to a a place called Gethsemane. It was more or less a garden, and and here's here's what, what the gospel says. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began 
to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going just a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and he prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. We're going to spend a little more time in Gethsemane a little bit later, but one of the other gospel writers talks about how the the disciples who were with him fell asleep. And I can only imagine the loneliness that Jesus felt. Actually, I know, I can't imagine that. Because literally the weight of the world is on his shoulders in some way, shape, or form. And there he was with his closest men, the ones that he spent the most time with, the ones that he loved, and they're falling asleep on him. And they were supposed to keep watch because there was something that was going to occur that night. Jesus knew it. The disciples had an inkling of it. And of course, you know the story. He is located by religious authorities. He is arrested because one of his own disciples gives him away. He is taken off and he is tried. He eventually makes his way to a Roman authority named, named Pilate. Here's the scene. Very early in the morning, the chief priests with the elders, the teachers of the law, and the whole of the Sanhedrin, this is the Jewish governing religious body, they made their plans because they had arrested Jesus the night before and they, they had put him on trial. And so they bound Jesus, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate. Now, let me just explain something to you. Pilate was not a very nice person. You don't become the governor. You don't become a regional authority in the Roman army by being polite. In fact, he had a reputation, a very violent reputation. And here's Jesus in front of him. Are you the king of the Jews, asked Pilate. Now, this is very important to him because he represents the ultimate authority in the Roman Empire. That's Caesar himself. So anyone claiming to be a king other than Caesar, that's a threat. And so Pilate asks him point blank, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus replies, you have said so. The chief priests accused him of many things. So again, Pilate asked him, aren't you going to answer? See how many things they are accusing you of. He's trying to give Jesus a way out. He's trying to open the door saying, you know, defend yourself. And Jesus made no reply and Pilate was amazed. Why would you do this? Remember, this is a violent man. He understands how to defend himself very, very well. So somebody who chose not to do that would be a little odd to him. So he has Jesus flogged, beaten, and handed him over to be crucified. There are some nuances to this this trial, to be sure, but, but suffice to say that Jesus is caught in the political conflict between Rome and the Jews. 
It was just easier for Pilate to execute this rabbi, and so he hands him over. Now, the Roman detail in charge of execution, well, let's just say they were very good at their jobs. Very efficient in how they prolonged the agony. There's no polite way to say it. So they carried it out as they had done many times before. And here's what it says in Luke. It was now about noon. Interesting, and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon, for the sun stopped shining. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. And that was the end of it. Luke is a Greek physician, and he writes with a certain amount of efficiency. He writes with a certain amount of uh, brevity of words. And so he a span of what, three, four sentences, the death of Jesus. When he had said this, he breathed his last. And when he was gone, he took with him all the hopes and the dreams of his disciples. One of the other Gospels talks about how Some of his men watched at a distance, still uncertain as to how they would be treated. I guess I can understand that. I probably would have done the same thing myself. And they watched the rabbi die, and just a short time ago, he made the triumphal entry into the city. Everyone was looking for him to do something truly extraordinary. And all the hopes, all the dreams simply vanished. (laughs) And what's more, the jeering of the crowds, the ones mocking Jesus, probably still ringing in their ears. It's one thing to have your hopes and dreams crushed. It's something else to be mocked and jeered as it's happened. Picking up back in Matthew again, as evening approached, there came a rich man from Arimathea, named Joseph, who had himself become a disciple of Jesus in secret, more or less. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body, and Pilate ordered that it be given to him. Joseph took the body, wrapped it in clean linen cloth, and placed it in his own new tomb that he had cut out of the rock. He rolled a big stone in front of the entrance to the tomb and went away. 
Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting there opposite the tomb. It was finally over. I'm in the, uh, the Gospel of Luke again. And Jesus went out to this place called Gethsemane and his disciples followed him. And reaching the place, he said to them, Pray that you will not fall into temptation. And he withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. And Luke mentions then that an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. When he rose from prayer and went back to the disciples, he found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. Why are you sleeping, he asked. Get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. It seems to me that um, Jesus spent most of his life fighting various battles. He certainly, you know, fought plenty and plenty of, of times with the, with the Pharisees and the religious leaders. And he certainly brawled with the forces of darkness. But I think that his greatest battle was the one in Gethsemane. And that was the battle that he had with himself. It seems to me that all of us, every one of us, has that battle with ourself at some level. Here Jesus is kneeling and praying. And the emotion of all of it, of what's to come, and he understands what the implications are, what's about to happen, I think. That his sweat is like drops of blood. Have you ever sweated so hard that it came off so thick that it just just ran in droplets. Not from physical exertion, but from emotional exertion. This entire Lenten season, we've been talking about giving up. Not giving up the typical foods we like to eat or giving up our television shows or something that we really enjoy. We've been talking about giving up those things that, that really hold us back, the things that keep us from being the kind of people that we want to be, from being the kind of people that we know that, that Jesus wants us to be. What if we gave up those kinds of things, like discontentment and control and, and independence that isolates us from others? And, and what would it be like if we gave up busyness? Oh my! I want to be crystal clear that in Gethsemane Jesus gave himself up. Gave himself up. And I want to be, I want to be even more clear. He didn't just give himself up. He gave himself up for you. And not to put too fine a point on it, I'm not talking about you 
plural. I'm talking about you sitting in that chair right there. The moment that he said, not my will, but yours, he was thinking ultimately about you. Don't miss that. He gave himself up for you.